Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, are my colleagues and fellow Associate Editors, Barry Bettino and Kevin Drewley. This is Episode 17, and it's sponsored by Intertech Alchemy. So a big thank you to the folks at Intertech Alchemy, and you'll hear more about what they can do for your organization later in the show. We're coming to you once again from our respective homes, but very soon we'll be all together again in our National Safety Council offices and studios. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. As always, we hope everyone out there is remaining safe and healthy during this time, and a special shout out to the safety professionals for all of their efforts during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news on COVID-19 and other daily updates from around the safety world, please check out our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. We also have a website for our sister publication, Family Safety and Health, and you can find it at safetyandhealthmagazine.com family to learn more about safety away from work. During this month's episode, you'll hear about the role that humor can play when speaking about safety in our deep dive segment with Barry. Nyash is Brenda Jacklich will join us to talk about keeping workers safe in the heat. And of course, stay tuned for our pop quiz. It's all about those summer days and oh, those summer nights. Huh. Is everybody ready? Let's go. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take an in-depth look at the story from the pages of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our deep dive segment. This month, we'll be talking with Barry about a feature he wrote on humor and safety. It would seem like an odd combination, and there are some pitfalls to avoid. However, humor also can help build a connection between speaker and audience. So, Barry, won't you take us on a deep dive into humor and safety? Sure thing, Alan. Thank you for that introduction. So, guys, have you heard the one about the three safety professionals who walked into a bar? Just kidding. That's not really what this story is about. Uh, The article that I put together for Safety and Health does discuss humor and whether it has a place in safety, uh, specifically when it comes to training. And I got the chance to interview four different safety speakers who have presented to audiences around the globe about a variety of safety topics. And the one question I asked them to start with all was simply, does humor and safety, do they go together? And their answer was pretty unanimous. And it was yes, but. And the but has a lot to do with places and times and topics that are addressed during a safety presentation, because those are all really important. And one of my sources, Tim Page Bodorf from Safe Start, had a very good quote about humor and safety. And he said, quote, you're having fun for the sake of safety, not having fun in spite of safety, unquote. And his point being, Don't poke fun or make jokes about safety because it is a serious topic, but that doesn't mean that you can't laugh during a safety talk. And what humor can do is build a bond with people. Leonard Jones, he's a U.S. Air Force risk manager, and he said that most people dread going to a safety presentation. They just want to get it over with. Now, Leonard has a unique background when it comes to this subject. He has taught speech on the college level. And he also served as an Air Force command briefer during his active duty. So his experience is in uh, sharing important information and making sure it sticks. He told me, you've only got so much time with people. So the sooner you can sort of break down the walls between you and them and get some shared communication going, the better. And humor is a really good way to do that. And Leonard told me, using humor opens the door to get our safety message out. 
Barry, are there pitfalls of using humor when it comes to safety? Well, that's a simple answer, Kevin, and the answer is there are plenty. And here's a really basic one. Maybe you're just not a very funny person. Maybe humor is not your thing. And that's going to come through to your audience. Another is what you're joking about. And several sources told me that there are obviously some divisive topics to avoid that just aren't going to go over well. And those include politics, religion, and sex. And most of all, joking about a serious injury or a fatality, whether it's a story or a video that some social media channels like to share, that is definitely not recommended. And the reason is that much of the discussion on social media about those types of videos or images often starts with, wow, what an idiot that person is. And it's just not the kind of productive conversation that you want for a safety presentation. Another hurdle is geography. Friend of the podcast, Richard Hawk, who has spoken around the globe to safety professionals and is a podcaster and a columnist for safety and health. He said he was hired to speak to a group in Dubai. Now, Richard said the person who hired him said there should be no audience participation whatsoever. Now, Richard, for those of you who don't know him, is a very fun, engaging personality. And knowing that Dubai has dozens of top-notch golf courses, uh, Richard asked the audience for a show of hands on who plays golf. And the number of hands that went up in a crowd of 500 people was zero. And Richard said that was a valuable lesson. Now, some speakers like self-deprecating humor, like story about a mistake that they might have made, which can often be a way to show audiences that you're human. Uh, But one thing to watch with jokes about yourself, according to one source, is that too many of those examples can make your audience think, wow, this person really does make a lot of mistakes. The last one I want to mention is jokes about OSHA or other government agencies. And Regina McMichael, who's a very accomplished safety speaker that I interviewed for this story. She said her reasons to avoid those jokes is that, first of all, you never know who's in your audience. And secondly, jokes about government agencies can lead to building some distrust with your audience toward those agencies. And keeping all those pitfalls in mind, according to the sources I spoke to, can help you really understand what's, you know, that fine line between appropriate and inappropriate humor. So Barry, what are some ways that speakers try to connect so their humor comes across well? Well, Alan, one important thing is knowing your audience. For a safety person at a manufacturing facility, for example, that person has the benefit of knowing the people in their building, knowing their families, their supervisors, company leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And in turn, they know you and they know your sense of humor. For those who may be asked or or hired to speak to other groups, my sources say to get to know as much as possible about your audience. Now, some speakers like to greet people as they come in the room and ask what they do, where they're from, and and build a rapport that way. And in non-COVID times, that involved a lot of shaking hands and face-to-face greetings. For other speakers, getting to know an audience can involve just sending a questionnaire to the person or group that hired them, asking them really direct questions about your audience, such as what department do they represent, whether any of the employees are are, are coming off a shift, what types of employees will be attending, is it people from around the entire company, is it just a certain segment of an organization that will be attending. All of those things will give you some great insight and help you build a rapport, as Leonard Jones talked about, and that can certainly help you find their funny bones. The last thing I want to mention is something that Regina McMichael discussed. She said that she often likes to give her audience permission to laugh. And this is something simple. She'll tell a joke 
And if it doesn't go over as well as she thought, she'll say, okay, folks, that was a joke and this is where we laugh. And giving them that permission to laugh often can break down some barriers and get the audience more involved and more engaged. Thank you so much, as always, Barry, for this interesting feature. If you want to read more about humor and safety and other news from around the safety world, please check out the July issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. This episode of On the Safe Side is brought to you by Intertech Alchemy, the leader in safety training for your frontline workforce. Do you need a more efficient and effective way to train your frontline workforce? Partner with Intertech Alchemy today. They have all the safety courses you need with supervisor coaching and reinforcement tools, as well as automated record keeping to keep you audit ready all the time. See why more than 15,000 facilities partner with Intertech Alchemy to build an engaged, safe, and productive workforce. Contact Intratech Alchemy today by visiting their website at intratechalchemy.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-T-E-K-A-L-C-H-E-M-Y.com. Well, sure as this is our July episode, it's most likely hot where you're listening to us. Blame it on the earth and its tilted axis. But with the weather, it's vital to recognize the signs of heat-related illness and to keep prevention in mind, whether you're leading an outdoor work crew or simply headed outside to take a stroll. In this month's edition of Five Questions With, the On the Safe Side crew speaks with Brenda Jacklich, a health scientist in the Division of Safety Integration at NIOSH. Brenda studies heat stress and heat illness, and we welcome her today to discuss how these matters relate to worker safety. Thank you for joining us, Brenda. Thank you. I am so excited to share some helpful information on heat stress for your audience. Heat illness does come in some different forms. Could you discuss some of the most common types that occur in the summer on a job site? So there's several types of heat-related illnesses. They can vary in severity, types of symptoms you experience, and also the overall outcome. The less severe types of heat-related illness, I'll start with heat rash. And so heat rash is basically just skin irritation that can develop on you, especially if you're uh, sweating excessively during a period of time at work where, you know, you're exposed to hot temperatures and, and maybe the, the humidity levels are up. Another less severe type of heat-related illness is heat cramps. Heat cramps usually affect workers who are sweating a lot, doing various strenuous uh, work activities. The sweating actually will cause your body to have too low salt levels and moisture levels. As the salt levels in your muscles decrease, this can result in sort of these painful cramps that you might be feeling. Heat cramps can also actually be a symptom of something a little bit more severe that we call heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion is how your body responds to a huge loss of water and salt, such as through heavy sweating. Workers most prone to heat exhaustion are elderly, those that may have some underlying health conditions like having high blood pressure, any worker who's working in a very hot environment. Heat exhaustion is interesting and something that we consider more severe because it can also very quickly develop into heat stroke. Heat stroke is the most serious type of heat-related illness. Heat stroke can actually result in death or permanent organ damage. Heat stroke occurs when the body becomes unable to control its own temperature. 
your temperature will actually rise very quickly and this will affect the sweating mechanism so that you won't be able to cool down. When heat stroke occurs and your body rises to this, you know, dangerously high temperature, it can occur within minutes. So that's why we consider both heat exhaustion and heat stroke to be very much a concern when we're talking about heat-related illnesses. With heat stroke in particular, it is of the utmost importance that if somebody is suffering from it, that they are immediately cooled down. That way, their brain and their other organs don't end up overheating and resulting in a terrible outcome like death. Brenda, I was curious, what are some common warning signs that employers and and coworkers on a job site can look for in someone who is suffering uh, from a heat illness? So with heat exhaustion, some of the signs and symptoms to watch out for are a general feeling and wellness. And, you know, more specifically, that can mean you're suddenly having headache. You might experience nausea and just feel really ill, like you're going to be sick dizziness, a feeling of overall weakness where, you know, you're, you're just not feeling up to the, the tasks of the workday any longer. Irritability when you're out in the heat for a long period of time and you're starting to actually become overheated, it can put you in a bad mood. And, and so irritability is something to watch out for. Things like thirst with dehydration. By the time you become thirsty, you're already dehydrated. You don't ever want to get to that point where you start to feel thirsty. Along with that, heavy sweating, having an elevated body temperature, and also decreased urine output. And so that means you're not urinating as often as you would normally. Again, this is another sign of dehydration. It can also mean when you do urinate, it's not the same volume of urine that you would normally be having at that time. With heat exhaustion, because it can, again, quickly develop into heat stroke, Some of those major changes that you might see include confusion, an altered mental status, slurred speech. As heat stroke progresses, somebody could go into a coma. They might actually lose consciousness. The person may also experience seizures. And again, just that very high body temperature. And so it's important to note when people attended first aid trainings, they didn't always distinguish between the two types of heat stroke. There's classic heat stroke, and then there's exertional heat stroke. And with exertional heat stroke, usually seen athletes and workers suffer from this. With exertional heat stroke, somebody may continue to have moist skin or they may continue sweating while experiencing their heat stroke. With classic heat stroke, one of the signs they said to watch out for was the actual stopping of sweating. Whether somebody stops sweating or they continue to sweat, if they're showing these other signs and symptoms of heat stroke, it's more than likely that they are experiencing heat stroke. So don't rule it out just because the person is still sweating. So how can employees and employers prepare for the heat before work begins? So employers are responsible for making sure that their workers are safe in the heat. Employers really need to make sure that they have a robust heat stress prevention program in place. This program can include things like engineering controls. If it's possible at your work site, you want to make sure that there is some sort of shaded structure that is available for your workers to take breaks in or depending on what activities they're doing, if there's a way to shade them while they're doing those work activities, that would also be optimal. A lot of our heat stress recommendations for employers and workers actually uh, revolve around what are traditionally seen as work practice or administrative controls. 
These include things like making sure that you're limiting your time in the heat or you're increasing the amount of rest time you're taking in a cooler environment. This can also mean that you're increasing the number of workers working at a specific activity or task. If everybody is involved, then hopefully the task will be finished more quickly and less of a strenuous task on just one person. You're also going to want to have a buddy system in place. And this is important because, again, with a lot of those symptoms that I mentioned earlier, if somebody is confused or feeling really run down, it's important to have a buddy nearby who can ask if you're okay, go get help if, if help is needed, help cool you down, and just an extra set of eyes, an extra set of questions just to kind of check in throughout the workday when a buddy is assigned. You can also require workers to conduct self-monitoring as the supervisor and the employer. You also want to be walking around and monitoring your workers and seeing how they're doing in the heat. You also may want to implement heat alert program, especially before heat waves hit your area. Just making sure that you're thinking about taking additional precautions when you know that the next day is going to be particularly hot. You also want to make sure that you're training your workers and any supervisors on recognizing symptoms of heat-related illness, first aid, knowing what to do if somebody is showing symptoms. You can also train them on heat-related illness risk factors. So again, you know, somebody may be on medications or have some underlying conditions that make them more susceptible to heat. And so you can just make everybody aware of kind of those additional factors that come into play. You can also train everybody on acclimatization, which is essentially when somebody is acclimatized to the heat, their body tends to react more quickly and have an overall better outcome. So that's something important to kind of instruct people on, making sure that there's actually an acclimatization plan in place, particularly with new workers or workers who maybe took a, a week off for vacation. When those workers are introduced back into the, the work environment, you want to give them anywhere from a week to two weeks to kind of adjust to working in the heat. That may mean they're doing lighter tasks during those first two, one to two weeks when they're arriving at the work site. That way their body has time to adapt. You also want to make sure that appropriate hydration is provided for all your workers and that there are opportunities to have breaks to not only rest, but also rehydrate. For employers, it's very important that the employers are actually telling their workers to take these breaks. It may not be enough to just mention that they should be taking a break once every hour, but it's very important to make sure that they actually are taking those breaks. For workers, it's very important to be well-rested and also well-hydrated before starting your workday. That includes avoiding things like alcohol at night before a hot job. Alcohol can cause you to be dehydrated. And again, it's best to be well hydrated before starting your day. OSHA stresses water, rest, and shade. Just why are those three things specifically important when it comes to protecting workers? So staying well hydrated is very important when working in the heat. Sweating is one of the only ways that your body has to cool itself down. So if you're not well hydrated, then you may not be sweating efficiently. Along with that, your body is 60% made of water. All that water and all the fluids in your body help keep all of your organs going and all the internal mechanisms going. With severe dehydration, if your body is not hydrated well enough, 
this can actually lead to damage to some of your organs like your kidneys. And this also leaves you more susceptible to heat-related illnesses in general. Rest is also very important. Taking breaks gives your body time to cool down. When you're active, you're burning calories, which then release heat inside your body. And this is called metabolic heat. We're talking about working outdoors. We're not only worried about how hot the external environment is, but we're also worried about how hot is the inside of your body doing those activities. So with both external and metabolic heat, Adding on to that, you can also be concerned about what is my PPE doing? And PPE can be a concern when it comes to heat stress because you're trapping some of that internally created heat that your body is making within inside, you know, your PPE ensemble. This can also make you feel hotter. And so rest breaks, you know, are a great way to not only stop what you're doing and cool down, but they're also a great opportunity to remove some of that PPE that you may be required to wear when you're doing your work activity. But as long as you're resting in a safe place, it's a great time to remove some of that PPE and just let your body cool down completely. When you're taking those rest breaks, that's a great time to also rehydrate. As far as shade, shade is important because it removes a lot of that direct sunlight that can make it actually feel hotter. So having easy access to a shaded rest area with cool water is extremely important for keeping workers safe. And along with that, employers should, again, just make sure that they are encouraging and ensuring that those workers are taking those regular rest and rehydration breaks. And Brenda, the folks at NIOSH and OSHA have come together on the Heat Safety Tool app. If you could tell our listeners a little bit about some of the features in the app that can help keep workers safe. Monitoring the weather is an important part of a heat stress prevention program. OSHA NIOSH Heat Safety Tool app uses your location, as long as you're in an outdoor environment, it's for outdoor environments only, but it uses your location and then the local temperature and humidity data to actually calculate the heat index. And the heat index is important because it's a good estimate for how hot it actually feels when you take into account temperature and also humidity. One thing I do want to mention is you need to keep in mind that due to a variety of factors affecting your risk and the heat, and as I mentioned before, that can include the type of PPE you're using or the actual types of physical work activities and tasks that you're doing, along with any individual worker risk factors, that monitoring the heat index, such as through the app, cannot be solely relied upon to prevent heat stress among workers. You really need to make sure you're using a full, robust heat prevention program that includes all of the pieces, including the part where you're monitoring the weather. However, having said all that, the heat index can be used as a screening tool that supervisors and workers can more easily recognize when the hottest part of the day is likely to occur. One of the features in the app is actually an hourly heat index predictor. This predictor will show you the hourly heat index throughout the full day. And so knowing this information can make it easier to plan out the more intense activities of the workday. That way you can also plan for, you know, making sure that you have more rest and water breaks during those hottest parts of the day. Additionally, if the heat index looks particularly high, this might be a signal for employers to consider rescheduling some of the the more physically difficult or, or hot work activities for either a different part of the day or potentially a different day altogether. 
The app also has easy access to a lot of the information that I mentioned important for, you know, training and and for everybody to understand. The app has a list of heat-related training subjects that you should be including with your workers. The app has information on acclimatization and appropriate hydration. It also provides some information when deciding how to implement rest breaks and hydration breaks throughout your work activities. And it also includes a list of risk factors associated with heat-related illness. One last feature I wanted to mention was actually a cool feature that we added the last couple of years. And this is something that a lot of people were interested in us adding to the app. And it's actually our rest and hydration reminder feature. This is something that when you open the app and you look at the top, you'll see a little bell. And if you click on the bell, it will allow you to send yourself periodic reminders to rest and hydrate. I know how it can be working outside sometimes, even when it's just yard work at your own home. You get busy doing something and brought your water bottle out and it's sitting off to the side and you forget that it's there. And and you think to yourself, oh, I'll take a break as soon as I finish this task. The task might end up taking a lot longer than you originally thought and you kind of lose track of time. So, you know, if you've got your phone in your pocket and it, it bings at you, you know, that's just another little reminder that you can have in place that, hey, it's been a really long time. I had set up this reminder so that I would remember to take a break and, and hydrate because this is so important. Well, Brenda, we appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. Thanks for everything you do for worker safety and health. It was a pleasure to have you with us on the safe side. I've said it before and I'll say it again. As sure as this is our July episode, it's most likely hot where you're listening to us. And because Barry, Alan, and I all are in the same region of the country, can say that with a lot more certainty. But warm and hazy though it might be, you've still got to get out and catch some rays, right? So in this installment of our pop quiz, let's talk about some favorite summer activities. I'll go first. As a kid, there was a neighborhood pool that the the way it was designed, we played a game called gutter ball where you stood two or three to a side and just defended your gutter. And it sounds simple and silly, but you know, you can imagine a bunch of eight and 10 year old kids getting into it and diving headlong and kind of pretending they're, you know, defending a, a grounder or something like that. Really just anything recreationally in the water. You don't have to be doing the, the freestyle or the breaststroke to be swimming. Barry, how about yourself? Kevin, I spent three summers working on a vegetable farm south of Chicago, and we grew everything you can imagine from sweet corn to watermelons to all kinds of different squashes. So in the summertime, I am a sucker for a good farmer's market. I always kind of like looking around at, you know, to find the things that we grew on our farm that I worked at and just kind of explore those. And I also like to cook. So I always like the challenge of finding something new and cooking it in the summertime, different kinds of produce. Walking and hiking is a big thing for me. And I can say one thing that's really been enjoyable uh, the last couple of years is I found an app called All Trails, A-L-L-T-R-A-I-L-S. That's really cool. You punch in your area and it gives you kind of the the trails in that area. Uh, Alan, how about you? I like Kevin. I love swimming as well. I'm hoping to do a little bit more bicycling with a helmet on, of course, during the summer catch a couple of baseball games or two and also go to kind of the neighborhood festivals or get togethers here in the city. I've enjoyed the last few weeks sitting in the shade. <laughs> that's That's been really enjoyable as the weather's been nicer, you know, either reading a book or, or looking on my phone. 
Well, now we want to hear from you. So go ahead and share your favorite summer activities with us by emailing safehealth at nsc.org or checking in with the hashtag on social media, SafesidePopQuiz. Well, we want to say thanks to everyone out there for spending a little time with us today. We also want to send a big thank you to our sponsor of this month's episode, Intertech Alchemy. You can learn all about them online at intertechalchemy.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-T-E-K-A-L-C-H-E-M-Y.com. If you want to keep your employees, your colleagues, and your family members safe, we have just the publication for you, Family Safety and Health. Each issue is packed with helpful tips that will keep family safe at home and in the community, along with informational articles about your health. To get a free copy or learn more, visit our new website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash family or subscribe by calling 800-621-7619. If you'd like to share some feedback, email us at safehealth at nsc.org to find stories such as Barry's humor and safety story, as well as the latest news about safety and health. Visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. We'll be back next month with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, feel free to tell a fellow safety pro about this podcast, and please stay on the safe side. Mm -hmm.